Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us today. And we're wrapping up the series that we're talking about, The Purpose of Time. You know, God is timeless, but He gives us time so that we can understand the priorities of our lives, so we can figure out the purpose that God has for our lives. And I want you to know that we are here for such a short time. James reminds us that our life is as a vapor that appears for a little while and then it's gone. And so I wanted to spend just a minute of the top part of the broadcast today challenging you not to procrastinate. You know, it's a sin if you know to do something and then you don't do it. If you know you should do something, you don't do it. To him, that is sin, James 4, 17 says. You know, the Bible also says that lazy people, they want much, but they don't get a whole lot. But those who work hard will procrastinate. Now, I know that everyone listening to me today, uh, you are very familiar with Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, he's widely considered one of the most diversely talented individuals that has ever lived. But you know, as an artist, he was known as the great procrastinator. I mean, he did some wonderful works. He painted The Last Supper, The Mona Lisa, among others. However, his total input in painting is really rather small. There's only 17 surviving paintings that can be definitely attributed to him. And several of those are even unfinished. You know, the small number of surviving paintings is due in part to the fact that he was a chronic procrastinator. As a matter of fact, he often would require just a sharp threat by his patrons that would say, I'm going to withhold payment if you don't get moving on this painting. Uh, for example, the Mona Lisa, it took him 15 years for him to complete that work. Uh, even worse than that one was the Virgin on the Rocks, commissioned with a seven-month deadline, but da Vinci finished it in 25 years. On his deathbed, da Vinci apologized. He said, I apologize to God and to man for leaving so much undone. Now, as you think about your life, many times we procrastinate because we've overcommitted to the wrong things and there's no time left to do the right things. So I want to encourage you, don't overcommit, but also don't undercommit. You know, the Bible says it is vain for you to rise up early and go to bed late, eating and just having this anxious toil. It says that the Lord gives his beloved sleep. So you only have one life to do. I want to encourage you to find exactly what God has called you to do. It's not hard to find. Now, the Bible says if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and he's going to give it to you, right? I, I struggled for a long time trying to figure out what God wanted me to do, and it wasn't because I didn't know what he wanted me to do. I didn't want to do what he wanted me to do. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to live my life the way that I wanted to live my life. I can tell you the most miserable years of my life was between the ages of 15 and 21. The reason that was such a miserable time in my life is because I knew the Lord wanted me in ministry and I wanted nothing to do with it. You know, I looked at it and I said, you know, if I become a pastor, I'm going to be poor and I'm going to be uh, uh, not able to keep my family together. And it's all these other things that came into my mind. And I says, uh, ultimately, I just don't want to do it. I said, that's the bottom line. I don't want to do it. And, and I, I said, I have no desire to be a pastor. I have no, uh, no determination to be a pastor. And, uh, you know, the Lord had to rebuke me. And you know what the Lord did? He changed my desires. When I finally surrendered to him, he changed my desires. Listen, when you think about commitment. When Johnny Jennings of Ringgold, Georgia was 18, he made a life-changing visit. He went to Georgia Baptist Children's Home. As he was visiting the Children's Baptist Home, several children ran up to him and asked to be adopted. 
He said, man, that took my heart right there. He says, well, Jennings was ready to adopt. He wasn't able to adopt, but he promised to do everything he could to help that home's young residents. A few decades later, Jennings found a practical way to raise funds for the home. He got into the recycling business. And for 32 years, Jennings would save his money. As you rush forward into his life, at 86 years old, in March of 2017, he sold his last 810,000 pounds of paper worth about $20,000 in pennies. <laughs> and he took that money along with the other money that he had saved, and he made a gift to the Baptist Children's Home of over $400,000. One of his friends told reporters, Johnny normally loads his truck by himself, and that's a job in itself. And did I mention he's 86 years old and he had two small strokes just two weeks ago? But that didn't stop him from getting back on the paper route. When Jennings got home from the hospital, he went right back to work. Our friend continued, that is just how he is. He will not stop until the undertaker takes his toes up. And then he's going to tell everyone, my job is done. When I think about that, what is your life focused on? Uh, the last point I've got to make before we, we move on to this spirit-filled life is Matthew chapter 11. I think we need to live our lives with balance. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest. Don't you love that? Maybe you need some rest today. Maybe you need just this opportunity to slow down and, and figure out exactly what the Lord has for you. Well, as we look at the rest of the broadcast, I want to spend the next few minutes talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, the fruit of the Spirit. You know, when you think about the fruit of the Spirit, it's driven from a life of holiness. Now, we don't like to talk about holiness too much, and, and it seems like it's not very in vogue in our day and age, but it is so important that we live lives of holiness. You know, that word holy means a life of purity. Uh, it means to be sanctified. You know, in Duke University hospitals in Raleigh and Durham, North Carolina, some time ago, maintenance workers were draining hydraulic fluid from the hospital elevators into empty drums. Now, these empty drums were actually laundry detergent drums. And when they put the fluid in there, for some reason, uh, they never disposed of the drums. Through a strange series of events, the drums were mistakenly redistributed to the people who cleaned surgical instruments. As a matter of fact, for two months, they were cleaning surgical instruments with hydraulic fluid. It took them two months and 38 surgeries before anybody figured out what went wrong. Washing these instruments in hydraulic fluid was not an effective means of sterilization. The biggest question is, what kind of damage had been done to the patients? No one was sure what the petroleum residue might do to the people. The hospital's administration assured the public, we want to give people the message that we care about our patients. And no doubt they do care about their patients, but their instruments weren't safe. They were a threat to the patients, no matter how much they cared. I want to talk to you about a church. A church that is careless about holiness is like that. We may care about our people, but we're in danger that we may hurt them nonetheless. You see, it isn't enough just to share the gospel with the lost. We must also be sure that we act in holy ways and we teach holiness as a way of life, lest we harm the people of God. It was Watchman Nee who said, Many saints cannot distinguish inspiration from emotion. Actually, these two can be defined readily. 
Emotion always enters from the man's inside, whereas inspiration originates with the Holy Spirit and man's spirit. You see, the Spirit-filled life is not a special, deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan that God has for His people, said C.S. Lewis. As a matter of fact, when the early church was started, they received power when the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Sumeria and all the ends of the earth. How do I know if I've been filled with the Holy Spirit? So many people misunderstand the working of the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's actually an emphatic term that we're constantly to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's not that we're getting more of the Holy Spirit. It's that the Holy Spirit is getting more of us. We are surrendering ourselves over more to the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we know this is happening? Well, Galatians chapter 5 reminds us that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. We will see an increase in these types of fruits in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are these things evident in your life? Are they increasing in your life? Paul says those who belong to Christ have nailed their passions and their desires and their sinful nature to the cross, and they have been crucified there with them. You see, when we're living in the Spirit, we follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And as a result of that, we're not conceited. We're not provoking one another. We're not jealous of one another. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, way back in the book of Genesis, we learned that God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And don't you love that? We see the beginning of creation talking about the Spirit of God. You see, when we think about the Spirit of God, it's not a new spirit that showed up in Acts chapter 1. The Spirit of God is part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, always existent. They weren't created. They're three in one, one in three, and the one in the middle of Jesus died for me. When we look in Matthew chapter 1, we see that David, the forerunner of Christ, who was the one who was in the genealogy of Christ, we learn that the Holy Spirit was there in bringing about the birth of Jesus. Spirit came upon Mary, and Mary conceived without a relationship with a man, and what was begotten of her was of the Holy Spirit. So we learn in the book of Genesis, the Spirit is alive and active. We learn in the first New Testament book, Matthew, in the genealogy of Christ, that the Holy Spirit is involved in the birth of Christ. The last book of the Holy Scriptures, the book of Revelation, we see that the Spirit of God is involved there as well. Let's look at Revelation chapter 22, verse number 12, where John the Revelator says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I love this next little phrase. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter into the city of gates. Outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexual immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves to practice falsehood, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. And then we get to Revelation twenty-two seventeen. It says, the spirit of the bride says, come, 
and let them who hear say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life come without a price. When I think about the coming of the Lord, and I think about the Spirit of the Lord, I want to remind you that we are called to live a life filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about that today. Let me give the ABCs of being filled with the Spirit. Letter A stands for the word abide. Abide in Christ. John says this in John 15, recording the words of Christ. He says, you're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. But then he says, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're abiding in Christ. 1 John 3, 24 says, we know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So the spirit of God lives within us and it agrees with our spirit that we are the children of God. When I think about abiding in Christ, it's not abiding in myself. It's abiding in Christ and it's proven by the fruit that I produce. You see, words are not fruit. Fruit is fruit. I can say a whole lot of things, but if you look at my life, that would be the fruit of my life. Billy Graham once said, if I were to live my life over again, I would do some things differently. He said, I would study more and preach less. You see, one counterfeit to being a good bearing fruit person is pretense. You know, we can become experts at our routines. We can become experts at the lingo and acting Christian while experiencing no real power in our lives and bearing no eternal fruit. You see, our hearts remain self-centered and angry and joyless when we go through our lives and we just go through the motions of serving God. We can easily slip into that role of the Pharisees, you know, by judging others and, and neglecting to take care of the secret sins in our lives. You see, so many times we miss an opportunity to be filled with the Spirit of God because we're looking at others. You know, when you think about being filled by the Spirit of God, There's a book that I read some time ago, and the book is entitled Sensing Jesus. And in this particular book, it shares about a time that the author was intensely busy, intensely overcommitted. So many people tried to get the author's attention, but he refused to listen until he received a very special letter that finally changed his life. He said an older mentor, Bill, said, Zach, your life is like a five-alarm fire. You're going and you're coming in so many directions. I worry about you. One of his bosses echoed the same sentiment 10 years later when he wrote, you are doing so many different things. We are afraid you are going to burn out. We want you around here for a long time. So pace yourself, okay? That voice was joined by others. Two colleagues invited him one time to lunch. Another called him on the phone and says, we are worried about you. Then he said, I received a letter. It was an old-fashioned kind of letter with a stamp on the envelope. The words were written by hand with a pen. I opened it, and I heard my mom's voice as I read. She, too, must have heard the same alarm. Son, she wrote, a tree that has no roots can provide no shade. You must have roots in your life so that you grow up to be a blessing to others. A tree without roots will burn out. 
You see, abiding in Christ. That's where our strength comes from. That is proof that we're walking in the Spirit. Well, letter B talks about being consistently led by the Spirit, not by faulty emotions or not even by reason. Romans 8.14 says, For that we are led by the Spirit of God, and when we're led by the Spirit of God, we are the sons of God. You know, sometimes I've got to be honest. I'm led by me. Sometimes I'm led by others. Sometimes I'm led by circumstances and events and conditions in my life. But all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So ask yourself, what is the most prominent influencer in my life? In 1914, not long after the sinking of the Titanic, Congress convened and they had a hearing to discern what exactly happened in that nautical tragedy. In January of that year, a thick fog off the Virginia coast came and descended on the coast of Virginia. The steamship Monroe was rammed by the merchant vessel Nantucket and it eventually sank. 41 sailors lost their lives in the frigid waters of the Atlantic. Well, it was Osmond Berry, the captain of the Nantucket, who was arraigned on charges. In the course of the trial, Captain Edward Johnson was grilled on the stand, and he was grilled for over five hours. During cross-examination, it was learned, as the New York Times reported, that Captain Johnson navigated the Moreau without a steering compass. It was a compass that deviated as many as two degrees from the standard magnetic compass. He said the instrument was sufficiently true to run the ship. He also said that the custom of the masters on the coastwide trade would use such compasses. His steering compass had never been adjusted to the one that the master of Moreau was using. You see, this faulty compass that seemed adequate for navigation eventually proved otherwise. The realization partly explains the heart-rendering picture recorded by the Times. Later, the two captains met. They clasped their hands together, and they sobbed on each other's shoulders. The sobs of these two burly seamen are a reminder of the tragic consequences of misorientation. You see, the reminder for us is this. If the heart is like a compass, then we need to regularly calibrate our hearts, turning them to be directed to the Creator, our magnetic Lorth. Romans 8.14 says that all of us who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. That is, we're to be constantly led by the Spirit. Now, I know this is an ongoing struggle because we have this tendency to we're prone to wonder, but we must recalibrate, constantly being led by the Spirit, not faulty emotions or not even reason. Was the third proof that we're filled with the Spirit. We're down to letter number C, and that is we crucify the flesh. Paul said in Romans 8, 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. Don't you love that verse? What a challenge that is to us, to put to death the deeds of the body so that we can live. Paul also said to this to the Colossian believers in Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, If with Christ you died, and when you were with Christ and you died, you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world today, do you submit to regulations? You see, the Colossian believers were, were trying to mix 
Gnosticism, with biblical Christianity. They wanted the best of both worlds, but it would not mix. It was like mixing water and oil. You see, the elemental spirits of the world cannot mix with biblical Christianity. We died to those old spirits. Those old spirits left us dead and separated from God. We have to crucify the flesh. You know, being crucified with the Christ means that I no longer live under the penalty of the law. I've got some really good news to share with you over the next few minutes. I want you to know that if you are crucifying the flesh, if you're crucified with Christ, you're no longer under the penalty of the law. You know, that penalty was paid by Christ on our behalf. When Christ was crucified, it was as if I was crucified with him. The penalty was paid in full, just as surely as if we had been crucified for our own sins. This is when Christ rose from the dead. We rose too. Now the resurrection Christ, the risen Christ, empowers us to live for him in a way that pleases God. You see, we used to seek life through our own works, but now we live by faith in the Son of God. We're no longer going to be judged by the penalty of the law because Christ paid for our sins. Now there's something else about crucifying the flesh. Being crucified with Christ means that we are new creations. Oh, here's a wonderful verse, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Why don't you commit this one to memory? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. That old life is dead and gone. We are walking in the newness of life. Listen, we're no longer under the penalty of law. We're now a new creation in Christ. And being crucified with Christ also means that we have a new love. Oh, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the things of the world have been crucified. Now we love Christ. Though we have not even seen him, we love him, a new kind of love. Oh, there's something else that I found about being crucified with Christ. Being crucified with Christ means that we have a new commitment. We are dedicated to the service and the glory of the Lord. And that dedication destroys selfishness and it surpasses the ties that we have to families and friends. Nothing supersedes to the love that we have for Christ and the commitment that we have for him. We have taken up the cross and we follow him. Oh, there's something else about being crucified with Christ. It means that I have a whole new way of life. You see, at one time, we follow the ways of this world and the ruler of this air and the spirit Now, there's the spirit of the Holy Spirit, and we no longer are following that disobedient spirit. Isn't this wonderful to know that our old life was nailed to the cross, and now we follow Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and we can seek to please him in every single way. Wow, this is some good stuff. When we think about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we're talking about abiding in Christ. We're talking about being led by the Holy Spirit. We're talking about crucifying the flesh. And letter D, we're talking about devotion, being devoted to the Father. You know, if you wanted to memorize a powerful chapter, you know, when I was a young person, I was going through a Bible college, I was given a challenge to memorize Romans 6 and Romans 8. And so I did. I memorized both of those chapters. Romans 6 reminds us that we are dead to our sin. Romans 6, 1 talks about the fact uh, that how can we sin any longer? Uh, We are dead to sin, okay? Uh, Romans chapter 8 is a fascinating chapter because it reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We are devoted to the Father and our life is radically changed. Let's look at just a couple verses in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 15 says, 
for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as the sons. That's why we can cry out, Abba, Father. We can cry out, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and that heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Wow, devoted to the Father, all because we're filled with the Spirit. Well, we're going to have to finish up this list tomorrow. So please join me tomorrow as we continue the ABCs of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray today for every person listening to me right now. I pray that they'll not deviate to the right or to the left. I pray that they'll abide in Christ. I pray that you'll allow uh, the Holy Spirit to lead them. I pray that they'll crucify the flesh. Uh, Help us not even to put ourselves in the way of being tempted, but may we crucify the flesh. And Lord, may we be completely devoted to the Father. And we're going to give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us. I look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Please join me same time tomorrow as we complete our study on the ABCs of being filled by the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.